It was a very long day. It was so long. Oh my god. They, very poorly planned. I registered for the tournament prior to that day, but the day of, I got there at like seven in the morning to sign in, and I didn't fight until like what was it, like six at night? And I was wearing tights and heels. I've never it was worn not those, that combination for the sound. <laughs> it was comfortable. not comfortable to stand in a gymnasium with fluorescent lights and a whole bunch of sweaty kids. <laughs> you wait for basically the entire day to fight four minutes. <laughs> Bruisers, episode three, the world of fancy grilled cheeses. The hardest part is coming back. For all these years, I was obsessed with the conflict. I was obsessed with the final confrontation, the being on the mats during a karate tournament. That's what I thought the most important part of the journey was because that's what requires the most strength, right? The strength not to back down. The strength to stare an opponent or an enemy or evil in the face and not flinch. But I was wrong. The hardest part happens after the conflict. Last month, I had a gun pointed at me. For less than an hour, I was in another world. I felt like Perseus in the lair of Medusa, or that one mouse that lives under my washing machine whenever my dog is sniffing around in there. After it was over, I thought to myself, why does this always happen to me? Or maybe more appropriately, why am I so drawn to the lure of this other, more violent world that is so separate from the world I know? Why am I pulled away from the crossword puzzles I do in the mornings on the toilet? Away from the grilled cheese made with Havarti and pesto mayo? Away from my novelty t-shirts that are printed with cartoonish sushi that are adorned with anime eyes and smiles? Last month, it was a gun. The month before that, it was a dude on his bike, wearing a mask. In college, it was a guy at the bar. Before that, it was a neighborhood bully. The archetype of this enemy keeps reappearing in my life. And I found myself back in the dojo thinking about it. I couldn't sleep, so I started hitting the bag around midnight, the moon casting long shadows with its silver light. In almost complete darkness, I was pounding the bag. Man, I could have tenderized meat the way I was wailing on it. My knuckles cut and bloody. With a pounding heart, both from the exhaustion and the exhilaration of playing scenarios over and over and over again in my mind, I finally called out, why? Why does this keep happening to me? What do I have left to learn? All the while, the gun, the bully, the drunker, the masked man rotating in my mind like someone was flipping over tarot cards faster than I could understand them. 
Somewhere in the middle of the hundredth or so punch, it finally hit me. It's not the conflict. It's not the gun or the bastard. It's not the face-off with evil that requires the most strength. The hardest part is coming back. Joseph Campbell, whose works inspired the likes of Star Wars, wrote about this journey in The Hero with a Thousand Faces. When the protagonist faces trials of the unknown world, he must complete his journey by coming home. Part of that is, I quote, The returning hero, to complete his adventure, must survive the impact of the world. Hmm. The impact of the world. I never heard that saying before, but I think I understand what it means now. After the gun incident that you can hear all about in the last episode of Bruisers, I went from the confrontation, from the terrors of the unknown, other, violent world, back into the world I knew, the uh, world of crossword puzzles and fancy grilled cheeses. In this world live all kinds of people who view violence from a distance. It seemed they all had their opinions. They all had something to say to me about my experience confronting evil. A lot of people told me to get a gun. Shoot first, ask questions later, that kind of thing. Some people were mad at me. They thought I trivialized violence. A few people thought that my forgiveness was naive and that I was a sorry excuse for an idealist. I sat pretty quietly listening to every opinion. Usually I just said the same rehearsed line in response. I would say something like, in retrospect, that sounds like a good idea. I would try to leave conversations, but you know how people are. They continue to inundate you with how you should have confronted very scary and awful experiences. To be completely candid, I fucking hated it. I hated listening to people's opinions and theories. They were from the world of crossword puzzles and fancy grilled cheeses, and they wanted to dissect my crossroads with the ugliest sides of humankind. The same guy telling me he would have shot back is the same dude who sits on Facebook all day posting fake news articles about how anarchists are stealing babies from orphanages and training them to be members of death squads. Those who thought I trivialized violence sit in their offices, decorating them with scented candles and exotic ferns, safely and comfortably criticizing my trauma from a clear distance. The dude who has so much disdain for forgiveness is the troll on forums waxing angrily about how he would run over marching protesters while he sits in his lunch-stained shirt, afraid to take a punch. The impact of the world. And you know, part of that impact is what I see in myself. I see that same foolishness in me whenever I approach violence with carelessness or callousness or comedy. I forget that I'm just as privileged to come from a world where I can stress over the amount of aioli on my sandwich while 
creating content specifically for this podcast, commenting about the nature of violence and martial arts. That breeds a lot of doubt. It breeds a lot of anger. It breeds a lot of hate in both the world of social media rants, the feigned knowingness of faux intellectuals, and in myself, in this podcast. That's the real impact of the world. After the conflict, the hardest part is going back and seeing how different you were before it all happened. It's hard to look at what you were. It's hard to love the world for what it is. So I ask again the same question I asked that moonlit night when I was thrashing that bag. Why? Why does this archetype keep reappearing in my life? Why do I keep returning to the world with so much doubt and anger in my heart after I stand in front of this avatar and fight? What's left to learn? Up until now, I use the most extreme examples. The archetype of the man with the gun, and the world, and myself, at our most flimsy. But I want to tell you a story that represents a smaller version of that. I was in a Kyokushin tournament. For those of you who don't know, Kyokushin dudes are relentless. Their karate is powerful, like kick you in the legs until you crumble and then punch you to death powerful. (laughs) When I first wet my appetite in martial arts again, I thought I had to sign up for a tournament. All the great stories end by being lifted up and holding a trophy. Daniel LaRusso, the guy from Bloodsport, Tommy Lee in the classic best of the best one and two. I could see no other outcome besides victory. Man, I fought hard. (laughs) I fought so hard I burned out my lungs. Like, my breath was hot coming out of my nose. I remember when my opponent kicked my legs, I started feeling it in my neck, like my whole skeleton was shaking. I couldn't see them at the time, but my legs probably looked like a xylophone, the way the bruises were forming in long black and blue marks down my thigh to my ankles. But I was in it. I was in the soup, man. The conflict, the final battle, the place that I thought required the most strength. But I'll be. At the end of four minutes, I was just a few points short and I lost. I was so exhausted I couldn't even process my emotions as I hobbled to the corner where I didn't have a coach or a team like everybody else did. I had one person there. I had my wife. She reads me like tea leaves. She knew I had that pouty look on my face. She knew I had this whole story in my head about fighting and redemption and victory. And she also knew that it was all shattered in the moment when the judge mispronounced my name and gave me third place. She also knows I'm a bit of a pill when I'm pouty. I can be childish. I went from the world of violence back to the world where all those feelings, the same ones I had later in my life while walking away from a man with a gun, bubbled to the surface. The narrative I told myself was false. I was filled with doubt. I was consumed by anger. So when my wife, knowing I could not be comforted in that moment, told me it was a great fight, 
all the disdain for this regular, non-violent world overtook me, and all I could blurt out was, don't. I went back to the locker room dejected, just absolutely wrecked. But I had a growing shame that I said something mean to the literal only person in my corner. It wasn't a gun that time, but for four minutes I was in that other, unknown, scary, violent place. When I came back, I hated the world, just like I hated the world when my bully punched me in the nose and stole my rollerblades, just like when the guy at the bar hook punched me before I could block it, just like when, in more situations than I could count, the archetype of this villain appeared to me and turned me around and sent me back to the world from whence I came. That particular time, after coming up short in a Kyokushin tournament, I said something rude to someone I love. To survive the impact of the world, I need to be better than that. Maybe that's why the archetype keeps reappearing. Maybe that's the answer to my question. Maybe I have to learn how to survive the impact of the world I came from. I have to learn how to master both worlds, the world of violence and the world of peace. I have to learn how to return with calmness and with dignity and with patience. It's too easy to say we hate people. It's too easy to say we hate the world. We shouldn't. We can't hate the world as long as there are people we love in it. As a martial artist, I have to acknowledge that this sometimes privileged, sometimes petty place is also a place where someone can stand in your corner when no one else will. It's a place where we find people we want to spend the rest of our lives with. This is the world where, on the day of my rainy wedding, a friend held an umbrella over my head as we walked to the church. This is the world where my nephew draws scenes from The Hobbit, and my niece doesn't mind when I suplex her. Possible future wrestler, maybe? This is the world where my mom makes especially hot chili pepper flakes and my dad clips bonsai. This is the world where my wife goes to bed early and wakes up, alert like a deer, when I finally come to bed after finishing my bruiser scripts and, to prove I'm not a burglar, she asks me in a half-asleep state to tell her one fact about myself. I'm just realizing how weird that sounds saying it out loud. Oh boy, I married a weird one. The hardest part is going back. Because it's so hard to remember the quiet good. The good that we take for granted when we stand at the gates of a more violent, more cruel world and hold our breath when we pass over its boundaries. God damn, this world can suck sometimes. But there's an old saying. I love the world because you're in it. For fighters, we need people to love. It's too hard to trot into those darker places, those darker states of mind, 
where we intend to hurt others and others intend to hurt us and not believe there is some great and powerful magic that resides when we hold hands with someone or share pizza with our friends or lay our fat asses on the couch and eat a fancy grilled cheese sandwich. And as for the doubt we have in ourselves, uh, I have no answer for that. Doubt, I suppose, is the better part of sincerity, but Bruisers is no longer about having all the answers. It's about fighting until we do. So, until next time, keep going. Keep fighting the good fight. for tuning into Bruisers. We are balancing quality and quantity. We want to produce more content, so if you keep listening, we can be at a place someday where Bruisers is a full-time gig. In the meantime, be patient with our short attention spans, our meticulousness, and our juggling of about 50 million other projects. In other news, we want to shout out all the people that make these episodes possible. First and foremost, editor extraordinaire Lily Myra, Big thanks for chugging along at our pace for this one. Also, the incredible musical stylings of Aaron Celentano are with us again for this episode. He's awesome, and the music makes the episode what it is. Check out his link in the description. Also, special musical guest All Out Crash did our ending song today. Thanks to Eric for reaching out and being such a big supporter of what we do here. We have been jamming out to their tune since we heard them, and to put it lightly, we dig, and we think you will too. Check out their link in the description. We'll see you next time.